Hey everyone, this is Chad Harms, the pastor of Creekside Bible Church. Thanks for taking some time to listen to our latest sermon, a sermon about a psalm. It will play in just a minute. Before it does, I want to let you know that we'd love to hear from you. If you have questions about something in one of our sermons, maybe you want to talk more about how it impacted you, or perhaps you just need prayer, you can simply visit creekside.me and you'll find all of the links you need to reach out to us. In fact, if you are someone who consistently listens to our sermons, but we've never connected, I'd love for you to go to creekside.me right now and just contact us to say, hi, I listened to your sermons. We'd love to be able to say hi back. Again, thanks for listening to this sermon. I hope that it will help you to learn and live more fully for the glory of God. It's good to be with you guys. My name is Lance Cadell. Those of you that don't know me, um, I work with the Northwest Baptist Convention. I work in the area of evangelism and church health, which basically what that means is that I have the opportunity to go from church to church and to talk with pastors, to meet with pastors, to encourage pastors, and to encourage churches to take responsibility for their calling and then also for their community. So what is it that God's called us to do, which is to reach the world, right? And then community. Where's God called us to, to do it at? Where, where, where is the place that he kind of wants us to be involved in? So that's what I get the opportunity to do. What a, it's a beautiful job. I love being able to do it. Uh, it's just a blessing that God has called me to be a part of that. Um, a couple weeks ago, well, maybe it was a couple months ago, because Chad's, Chad's always on it. I, I am not on it. I don't, maybe he's your pastor and you're going, no, I can tell you some stories. But, you know, at least for me, I, I will call people like two weeks before and say, hey, can you? And, and Chad, he calls me like months in advance and says, hey, man, we're, I'm thinking about taking off. I'm going to have this going on. Could you step in for me? And I said, yeah, I would love to do that. That would be fantastic. That, that would be a blast to be able to do it. I said, what is the subject? And he says, well, I don't know yet. I'll let you know as soon as I figure out. And I said, oh, okay, all right. So then I waited a couple of weeks, and I think I even sent him another text and said, hey, have you figured out what it is that you kind of are aiming at, what it is? You just want me to do something, like a one-off or you know, something that, that, that I've done before or something like that? He says, no, 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 we, we, we figured it out. We're going to have people come in and share their favorite song, which I thought, that's fantastic. I love the book of Psalms. Now, I don't know. I, I, it always amazes me how people kind of say, ah, oh, the Psalms are okay. I feel like the, the, the book of Psalms, it, it, it's so real, right? It's so raw. It, it, it's, it, it is Christian. It is humanity at the level that everybody can understand. I mean, there are times and there are moments that I meet people and they're kind of wrestling with their faith or they're wrestling with faith in general or they're wrestling with God. And I kind of think to myself, you should pick up the word of God and you should turn to the book of Psalms. And as you look through the book of Psalms, you will begin to find a place where you identify, Right? Because these are people who are crying out to God. Things have not gone the way that they wanted them to go, and they cry out to God. Or things are going overwhelming with all these blessings, and they're praising to the Lord. It's just this incredible group of songs sung to the Lord. So I got to thinking, okay, so where is it that I'm going to go? I mean, out of all the psalms that I can choose, there's a lot of psalms. Which one is going to be one that I kind of feel like, you know what, I, this one speaks to me. And I settled in on Psalm 32. Now, Psalm 32 is one of the pentinal psalms. It, it's, a, it's a psalm of repentance. There, there's only two of them that, that are considered in the, in the Scripture, two psalms. One would be Psalm 6, and it is a repentant prayer. And then here in Psalm 32, which is, again, a repentant prayer, but it is a prayer that kind of has some history. 
right? It has some baggage. And because it has the baggage, because it has a story, because it it has something that goes with it, I kind of really like this psalm. So if you have your Bibles, you may want to turn to Psalm 32. It will be up on the screen, but if you have them, you may want to look there. And while you're doing that, I'm going to tell you something that happened to me today. Today, I got up this morning and I I, I ran into Gresham. I'm serving as interim at Pathway Church there in Gresham. And so I preached two services this morning. And then immediately after preaching in Sandy, I had to run over here and meet with Matt, and he and I met over at Starbucks, and we had an opportunity to get to know each other a little bit better and to kind of talk about the future of what he's doing and the things that are going on in his life, and what, what a great young man. I'm looking forward to what it is that God's going to do there, but then after he left, and he had to come here and set things up, I ran across the street to a restaurant, and I sat down in the restaurant. I was just going to get something to eat because I hadn't had much to eat at, at this point, and I was kind of getting hungry, a little famished, and I thought, okay, I'm just going to sit here, and I'm going to look over my notes and kind of figure out where it is that I'm going to go, and while I'm waiting, right? I'm waiting for my food to show up, and I'm drinking my water, and I'm looking over my notes. I noticed that off over into the corner, there was this group of people, or not not that group is wrong. There's two people off to the side, and and they're staring at me. I mean, they're they're just staring, and and not only, they're they're not just staring, but they're also like, they lean in, and they're saying things to one another, and then they kind of laugh, and then they stare at me some more. And I know that they're staring at me. Listen, I'm not just paranoid. I, I, I get that. You know, there are times when my wife says, listen, not everybody's thinking about you. <laughs> okay, I get that. But the reality is, is that I knew that they were staring at me because the one who had their back at me and we kind of leaned in, turned around and looked at me. So I knew and then turned back and kind of shook their head and said, yes, right? Have you ever had that happen? Have you ever had a situation where someone's looking at you, they're staring at you as if something's wrong with you or something's going on, right? Don't you hate that? It's like somebody's staring and you're sitting there and you're thinking to yourself, okay, and, and you, you, you want to do it discreetly, right? Is there something on my face? Right? So, so you get, is, is my hair okay? Right? Is there something in my teeth? You get, you get, do you like that? If you've got your spouse with you or a friend, a good friend, it has to be a good friend, you look at him and say, hey, do I have a boogie? Right? Or you might even ask them, do my pits smell? Right? Those are good friends, right? Those are the real, real good friends. But you're sitting there and you're wondering, and, and you even, is my fly up? Right? Hey, don't laugh. I preached an entire message with my fly down one time. And they recorded it. It's still out there. I'm not going to tell you which one it is, but man, oh man, what an embarrassing thing to have happen, right? But there are those moments where you feel as though everybody is looking at you and they're seeing something and they know something that you don't know because they're seeing it on your body or, you know, something that's happening. You're kind of going, what's going on? You just can't feel peace. But sometimes it has nothing to do with, like, your person. It doesn't have anything to do with with, with like, something physical on you. It, it has nothing to do with a, robe, a wardrobe malfunction. Sometimes you feel those feelings like other people are looking at you or other people know something about you because you know that you have done something that you should not have done, right? Or you're involved in something that you know that you ought not to be involved in. And then you've done everything you can. I mean, you know that you did it, and maybe you've only done it once, or maybe you're continuing to do it. Maybe you're involved in it for a prolonged period of time. And what you've done is you've learned how to kind of hide it. You've hidden it under the rug. You've kept it to where nobody can see it. Nobody knows about it. But yet, every time you go out, it seems as though others know. Right? You just feel awkward. You feel that shame. 
More than likely, they don't know. I, let's just be honest. I mean, there have been times that people say, you know, they've come up to me as a pastor and they say, you know, don't you? And I'm going, which one? It's kind of like being a parent, right? Well, you tell me what I should know, right? I mean, but I don't know. And there are times and moments that you're struggling with something inside, internal. It has nothing to do with the outside, but you feel as though other people see it, and it just won't go away. No matter how hard you try to hide it, no matter how hard you try to run from it, no matter how, how much you try to keep away from it, it keeps rearing its ugly head. It keeps showing itself to be right there. And you think it's hidden, but it's always there. And of all the struggles that we wrestle with, none is more relentless than hidden sin. It dogs our steps. It plays no favorites. It's, it's guilt and shame follow us like the stench of fish gone bad, right? And nobody knows this better than David, the king of Israel, the king of God's people. He understood this better than any. Because at one point, this great king, this one that God called the lover of his soul, right? I just, I, it's amazing that God would look at David and after all the things that we know, and these are just the things that we've written down or that they've written down. But there are so many other things, right, that people don't know. And I look at his life and I look at the things that are going on and I think to myself, oh my goodness, why would God call him a man after his heart? And I think it comes down to what happens here in Psalm 32. You see, what happens before Psalm 32 is David's sin. And we know the story, right? It's found in 2 Samuel, begins in chapter 11. As a matter of fact, I'm going to read. I know you're, you're wondering, well, are you going to get to the psalm? We'll get to the psalm. It's going to be a little while, though, but, but we are going to get to the psalm. But 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1 says this, In the spring... At the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israel, Israelite army. Now, if this were a movie, and, 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 and if this event happened where David was asked and said, hey, listen, it's, it, you know, Joab comes to him and says, hey, it's, it's springtime. There's some battles that are going on. There's some things that are happening out there. It's war season, and it's time for us to go. And David said, no, well, you know, I think I'm going to just hang out at home. And then at that point where he shakes Joab's hand and Joab begins to ride away with the army, at that point there would be some sort of ominous music that would begin to happen because you know that any time that you do what it is that you ought not to be doing, in other words, you put your place in a, yourself in a place where you shouldn't be, you know that you're opening yourself up for some sort of temptation. And that's exactly what David did. David sent them off. He stayed back and said, you know what? Things are going to be okay. And we've all done something like that. You've called into work and made a decision that you're not going to go to work, and you, you stay at home, and you do some things that you shouldn't have done. You went on the Internet, and you looked at some things that you shouldn't have looked at. Or you accepted that invitation that you really shouldn't have accepted the invitation. Or you stayed after work a little bit later because she was there. We've all been in those situations where we should do something else, but we decide, no, 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 I think I'm going to go ahead and hang back here. You guys go ahead. And that's exactly what David did. And the scripture tells us that David takes a stroll on his rooftop. You know the story. 
And he stops at the corner there and he looks out and he sees a beautiful woman bathing herself. He calls his, his, his servant and says, hey, servant, come here. And the servant runs up to him and he says, hey, who, who is that? Now, David knew who it was, right? We know that David, well, I can make an assumption. Maybe I shouldn't say no because that, that's a real def- definitive thing. But, but we can make the assumption that he knows who it is that's bathing herself there because she is the wife of Uriah, and Uriah is one of David's mighty men, and there were only 37 of his mighty men, so therefore David knew all of the, the, the 37 mighty men, and not only would he have known them, but he would have known their wives. More than likely, if they had gotten married, he'd have shown up at the, at the wedding ceremony. He'd have been a part of this. He knew who that was, but yet he calls his servant to come over and says, who is that? And she said, well, that is, that's the wife of that's Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite. Ah. I tell you what, my friend, would you go down and get her for me and have her come to my place? And she does. She comes into his room and David does some things that he shouldn't do. And then he sends her away. Weeks go by. And I think at this point, David is feeling like I should not have done what I've done, but I've done what I've done and I'm not going to worry about it. Just let it go. But then there's a knock at the door, and some servants come and say, Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah the Hittite is here, and she would like to speak with you. David says, about what? I don't know, sir. I just know that he wa- she wants to speak with you. So she comes into the room. She walks up to David. She leans into David. She whispers into his ear, I'm pregnant. And David's world is turned upside down in one little swoop. All of a sudden, his gut falls, he's, he's, he's upset, everything is going, he's thinking to himself, what have I done? Everything is turned upside down, I, I, life is ruined, things are bad, and then he stops, he says, wait, 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 I think I can fix this. So he calls one of his servants and he says, send word to Joab and bring Uriah home. So Uriah comes in. And I love this. This is so, this is so amazing because this is us, right? You sin, you do things that you shouldn't do. You hide them. You, it haunts you, but you still hide it because you don't want anybody to know about it. So then you look around, what is a way that I can, I, I can do something to get rid of it? And so you start you know, scheming and conniving and trying to figure out things. And that's what David does. So he sends for Uriah. Uriah shows up. And I think Uriah is thinking, oh my goodness, what did I do? What did I do? What did I do? The king just called me. And he walks into the room, and I think he's kind of wringing his hands, and he's scared to death. And David looks at him, and I'm not kidding you. You can go look this up, 2 Samuel chapter 11. Basically, he says to David, so what's up? If I were Uriah, I'd go, what? You called me in just to say, what's up? Yeah, how are things? How's the war? Army doing good? Everybody's, everybody's good? Yeah, yeah. Okay, all right, well, enough small talk. I tell you what, Uriah, you're here. Why don't you just go home and hang out with your wife? Why don't you just go home and just enjoy your wife? Enjoy the evening. You can go back and you can fight with the army later on, right? And Uriah doesn't argue with David. He just says, okay, sir, and then he walks out. And the scripture tells us that Uriah does not go home, right? He goes down to the front or the back steps where the servants sleep, and he sleeps with the servants. And then David gets word. 
Uriah didn't go home. What do you mean he didn't go home? He didn't go home. He slept with the, with the servants. So he calls Uriah in again. And this time he says, Uriah, what's going on? He says, well, you know, this and this. You know, I think you should go and see your wife. Now, I'm not going to do that. As long as my people are out there dying, I refuse to do it. Could you imagine how that would cut to David? So David says, okay, okay, I, let, let, let's try a different tack. And he says, come here, Uriah, let, let's have some drinks. And he gets Uriah snockered. I mean, he just knocked out dead drunk. I mean, he gets him stumbling. And then he points him towards the door and he says, Uriah, go see your wife. And Uriah doesn't do it. He sleeps at the, with the servants again. And David hears. David says, okay, there's only one way I can do this. I can't get him to go and do what it is I need him to do in order to make sure that everyone assumes that this child is his. So he sits down at his table and he takes the pen, the same pen that he would have written out any psalm, and he begins to write a letter to Joab. And basically in the letter, he says to Joab, listen, this is what I want you to do. I'm sending Uriah back to you, and I want you to go, and I want you to force the fight. I want you to, to press in, and I want you to put Uriah at the front, and then just at the right time, I want you to pull back. I want you to retreat and to leave Uriah and maybe a few people. It's okay. Collateral damage. Leave them there. And he calls Uriah, and he says, Uriah, I have an important message to go to the front. I need you to take this. And Uriah says, yes, sir. And he goes, and he takes it, and he gives it to Joab. And Joab reads it, and he does what David asks. And he sends word back to David, Uriah is dead. David does the noble thing. He marries that poor widow who's carrying that child. And I think, I think that he brings her into his house. He brings her into his room. I think he closes the shades, right? Because at this point, there's so much guilt, so much shame. He's dealing with so much. He just can't hide it. You can push and push and push under the rug, but the lump continues to get larger and larger and larger to the point to where you're not the only one who sees it, but everybody else kind of feels it as well. And he tries to exist in this world. And he goes and he sits on his throne and he rules in hypocrisy. And then there's a knock at the door. It would have been a familiar knock, I think. Because he knew Nathan. He and Nathan were good friends. Nathan was the prophet of the land. Nathan would be called in from time to time to talk about some sort of strategy. What is it that you think that the Lord would have us do? What is it that I should do in this situation? As a matter of fact, David and Nathan were so close that David's third son is named Nathan. So Nathan shows up. He knocks at the door. And I think at this point, David's heart sinks and he goes, oh, no. Come in. Nathan walks in, and it doesn't even say that he says hi. He just tells a story. My king, let me tell you a story of two people who lived just outside of town. One was very wealthy. He lived up on the top of the hill, and he had all kinds of cattle and sheep and lots of kids and everything else. And another, uh, another individual had a family, but they lived at the bottom of the hill, and they had one lamb 
a few kids, and the kids loved that lamb, and they would sleep with that lamb, and they would play with that lamb. But one day, the rich man had somebody come and visit him. And the rich man looked at all of the things that he had, and then he looked down at the one who had the one, and he says, I want that lamb to slaughter, to feed to my friend. So they went down, and they grabbed the lamb, and they took the lamb, and then they brought it up, and they slaughtered it, and they fed the lamb to the friend. And before Nathan even got finished with the story, David stands up, he slams his fist down, he says, that man must die. And Nathan rocks David's world with four words. You are that man. And the scripture says that he fell to his knees and he began to confess his sin. Now, more than likely, he wrote Psalm 51 first. That's what scholars believe. You know the psalm, right? Created me a clean heart. Renew a steadfast spirit within me, right? You know that, 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 that psalm? But then it's believed that right after that psalm, he wrote Psalm 32. I want to read this to you. We're just going to kind of read through it. I'm not, again, it's, it's, we're not going, to have, we're not going to have points at this. I just, what I want to do is I want to read it the way that, that, that David would have wrote it. Psalm 32, verse 1, it says, Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven. Now, that word blessed, you know this because I know your pastor and he's such a great teacher. Blessed means happy, right? You can take it a step further. It means to be content or to be at ease, to be at peace. And it's interesting because this particular word, blessed here, literally is in the plural, which means multiple blessings, blessings upon blessings upon blessing, the one whose transgression... I love this. David, after he had just experienced what it is that he has experienced, after he cries out to the Lord, after he says, Lord, please forgive me. I have been so wrong, so bad. I deserve death. He cries out and he says, blessed is the one whose transgression. And that word literally, man, I love this. He calls it what it is. It's rebellion. That's what the word means. It means to rebel, willful disobedience. See, this isn't a mistake that David is talking about, right? This is a new, I knew what I was doing and I did it. I knew I shouldn't have done it, but I did it. That's what David is saying. And I love that he just admits it. He just flat out says, blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven. And that word forgiven means lifted, to be removed. Look at this. He goes on. He says, whose sins, that word is moral wrong. This is not a mistake, folks. I sometimes have to correct myself because, you know, I don't do things right all the time. Matter of fact, I'm not sure that I do things right ever, really. At least not to the point of perfection. And there are times that I will say something or somebody else will say something and, and, and I'm talking to them about their sin, about something that they're confessing, something that they're telling me. And they say, well, we really made a mistake. And I think to myself, did you really make a mistake or did you willfully do it? Right? Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiveness, whose sin is covered. 
to be removed from the sight. That's what that means, to be removed from the sight. Verse 2, blessed is the one who sinned. The Lord does not count against them. Oh, this is beautiful. This is an amazing statement. Basically, what David is saying is that, listen, I have done something that is worthy of punishment, not just punishment, punishment, but something that is so bad that you should crush me. That's what David is saying. He's saying, yet you have chosen not to hold my sin against me. And whose spirit, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. In other words, I've dealt with my sin honestly. Can I just say that, that this is probably the thing that I think most of us wrestle with the most, and this is this area of self-deceit. It's, it's the area where we kind of feel like, hey, you know what? I can, I, 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 I'm not that bad. I, I, I didn't mean to do it that way. You know what? I'm not as bad as somebody else, right? And part of the reason that we feel like we're not as bad is because we compare ourselves to somebody else that's really bad. You can always find somebody worse than you, so at least I'm not them. So David is writing this out and he says, in whose spirit there is no deceit and who, 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 who has come to the place to where they are an open book, they have laid it out before God. Verse three, when I kept silent, in other words, when I hid my sin, my bones wasted away. through my groaning all day long. Man, have you ever felt that? Hey, maybe you're not, you, you don't struggle with sin. Maybe you don't have any big thing that you have done in the past. Maybe there's nothing that's hidden, though I doubt that. I think that most of us in the room, there is something that you know you shouldn't have done that you've done and yet you haven't yet ever really confessed it or come to terms with it or laid it bare before the Lord. And when you do that, doesn't it kind of feel like this? Like your bones are wasting away? Everything on the outside is cleaned up. Everything on the outside looks good and presentable for the people around you. And yet when your insides, they're wasting away. And then look at this, verse 4. This is just so descriptive. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. <laughs> Have you guys felt that feeling? You wake up in the morning and it just feels like some, something's just laying on your heart. My strength was sapped as in the heat of, a, of the summer. We're feeling a little bit of that right now, aren't we? Some of you, it's 99 degrees in here and you're going, oh my goodness, when's this guy going to get done? Because I'm trying my hardest to keep my eyes open, right? That's what, that's what David's talking about. David feels like, it's just taken everything out of me. And then there's this little word, if you look at it in the scripture, there's that word silah. And, and, and there's all kinds of argument about what this means. Some people say, well, it's just, it's just a musical term. It just means to the musicians that this is a place where you take a break, you take a rest. But I think it's more than that. I think that David has come to a place where he is remembering the sin. He's remembering the things that were going on. He's remembering how dark the darkness was. And David just sets his pen down and he says, I can't, I can't, I can't. I don't know. Maybe he walked away. Maybe he went into the other room. Maybe he waited a day. I don't know. But then he comes back and he picks up his pen and he says, look at this, this is so awesome. Then I acknowledged, I like that word, 
The word means to, rec to recognize, to accept, to admit, to announce. When was the last time you announced your sin? Right? I mean, just a moment ago, we were asked, you know, you know at, at this moment, let, let's, 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 all, let's all acknowledge our sin. And I'm sitting over there, and I'm thinking about my sin. And then it begin to think, I begin to think about what it is I'm going to say to that. I said, no, 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 name it, Lance. It's not enough to just say, oh, God, please forgive me of my sin. Lord, you know what my sin is. Please forgive me of my sin. Oh, I acknowledged. I recognized it. I accepted it. I admitted it. I announced it. I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I didn't hide it. I stopped hiding. And I said, I will confess. That is a beautiful word. See, to us, it means to go to somebody and to tell them something that, that, that you have done, which is a good thing, and that's the way. But the word in the Hebrew here, confess, means to cast, to throw, right? What David says is that, listen, I have been living with this thing for so long. I have been hiding with it for so long, and it has been overwhelming. And every place I go, even as a king, I look around, and I feel as though everybody knows what's going on. So I took my sin, and I cast it. I threw it. I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave. God's grace meets us when we stop hiding. And we humbly move towards Him. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. Selah. Again, I think David puts the pin down. This time he's not thinking about how dark the darkness is. I think at this point he's thinking how great the grace is. Right? I mean, there are some of you, let's just be honest, there are some of you that when I was describing the story, and you've heard the story, but somehow I said it a little bit different, and there's a part of you that thought to yourself, what a despicable man. That man does not deserve to be forgiven. That is terrible. That's what grace is, right? Grace is that thing that where we receive something that we do not deserve. We receive God's grace, His love, His mercy, His forgiveness, and we do not deserve it. So I think at this point, David puts his, his pen down, down and he just reflects upon the incredible grace of God. Then he picks it back up and he writes again, Therefore... In other words, because you were willing to, to, to forgive, because you did forgive me, because you did give me grace, therefore... Let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. That's a troubling statement. Let all the faithful pray to you. In other words, what he's doing is he's saying, he's calling out, he's reaching out, he's seeking out, he's saying to the people, listen, you guys confess your sin. I've confessed mine and I can't believe what it is that it has done to my heart. Please confess your sin while he may be found. I don't understand that. I've been a Christian for a long time, and I've been studying the Scriptures for a long time. I, I don't fully understand. David is saying, do it now. Do it before it's too late. Turn to God while the opportunity exists. There is a day when the opportunity will cease to exist. I don't know when that is. 
It's kind of scary, right? I mean, I, I'm not saying it because I'm hoping that somehow, some way, you're going to actually do something because you're fearful of what's coming. But I, David is saying that. David is saying, call out while he may be found. There's a place where, where, where it's done. I don't know if it's when the trump is sound. I don't know. And then verse 7, you are my hiding place. I love that. David starts the whole thing out with talking about the fact that I have hidden my sin and now I'm hiding in you. You are my refuge. I'm no longer hiding my sin. I'm hiding in you. You will protect me from trouble. That's interesting, isn't it? He doesn't say that he's going to keep me out of trouble. He says you'll protect me from trouble. Trouble's still going to come, but I'll protect you from it. And surround me with songs of deliverance. I will belong to the community of the redeemed. And then he sets his pen down again. Selah. Just overwhelmed with the goodness of God. And then it's almost as if God picks up the pen himself. Because look at this. It, it, God, it, it changes. God's speaking now. Verse 8. I will instruct you. God, I will instruct you and teach you in the ways that you should go. I will be your divine GPS. I will take you to the places that you need to be. If you will trust me, if you will look to me, if you will, if, if you will allow me to guide you, I will do that. And he says, I will counsel you with my loving eyes on you. Do you see the difference? This is so beautiful. David says, I felt as though your hands were pressing in on me. And now all of a sudden, after I have confessed my sin, after I have received your forgiveness, you see me and you love me. Verse 9, do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must, but must be controlled by a bit and a bridle. Do not be like the horse who stubbornly says, no, I'm not going to go that way, who has to have the bridle put in and must be turned to the side. Do not be like the mule. You know what he's saying there, right? All of you right now are thinking about that statement, stubborn as a, right? Yeah. Don't be stubborn. While the Lord is crying out to you, while the Lord is asking you to come, while the Lord is saying, listen, I know your sin, I see your sin, nobody else knows it, but I see it. Come to me. Don't be like the mule. Charles Haddon Spurgeon says this. He says, there's a hair of the mule tail in every one of us. What he's saying is that there's a little bit of stubbornness in all of us. Let's just be honest. There's a lot of stubbornness in all of us. Verse 10, many are the woes, many are the cries, many are the prayers of the wicked. But the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts, who runs to him, who surrenders to him, who leans into him. And then verse 11, this is where, this is where he, he, he ends it here. This is it. This is the great ending of everything that he has brought. He says, rejoice, find joy, find peace, find what you're looking for. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all of you who are upright in heart. 
Now listen, if I just, if I just started with that, I wanted to start with that. I was gonna, I, matter of fact, I thought, I thought, you know what, I should just do this. I should flip this on its ear, and I should start with verse 11, because in verse 11, it makes it sound as though he's saying, blessed, or let, let, me, let me read it, because I don't want to, it says, rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous, you that do right, and sing, all you who are upright in heart, those of you that do the right thing. And see, there's this sense, there's this part of us that kind of feels as though God accepts the people who do the right things, who are good people. But this comes at the end of a repentant psalm. This comes at the end of, 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 of everything being confessed and, and God coming and saying, listen, I do not deserve your forgiveness. Or David coming and saying, I do not deserve your forgiveness. And yet God giving it to him. And now he comes to the end and he says to them that those who are upright in heart and literally what he's saying, those who are forgiven. There's a joy and there's a peace that comes, an inner peace that comes with confession, with forgiven sin. Now, listen, I don't know you. I'm just a guy that walked in the door, was asked to come and to preach, and you guys are looking at me going, man, he's up there, he's sweating like a dog. But listen, listen, listen. I don't know your story, but I know your God. And I know my story. And I know that I have done things that I should not have done. And I know that I have done things that were outward, just flat out rebellion against my God. And I know that my God has placed his hand upon me. And I know that I have felt crushed. And I know that my bones felt as though they were wasting away. And I know that God was doing all of those things in order to draw me to him so that someday, one, one day, I would confess and I would experience his grace and I would experience his peace. And I'm telling you, that's what he wants to do for you today. I don't know your story, but I know there's something. And can I just tell you, those things that stay hidden, they, they, they control you. No, they don't. Lance, they're hidden. No, no. If they stay hidden, they control you. They control you. And God wants you to bring that into the light so that he can forgive you, so that you can begin to experience his peace. See, the things that we make hidden keep us from having his peace. So here's what I want to do. I want to ask the, the band to come up here in a second. I want to pray. And, and, and we're, we're going to have Lord's Supper together and we're going to experience this time together and everything else. But I'm going to ask you to take the connection card because I believe that there's something happens when we do something physical, when we make some sort of response. I'm not going to see these, so it doesn't even matter. Some of you are going to say, well, then if you're not going to see them, I'm not going to do it anyway. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. I want you to take your connection card and will you do me a favor? Would you just, one of two words, write these, one of these two words down. Either write down at the bottom, you don't have to put your name, just write peace, which what that's saying is that, you know what, you're right, Lance, and I'm going to confess because I want peace. Or would you write prayer? And what you're saying is that, man, I, I, I don't know. Please pray for me. And the staff will get your, your, your cards and they'll be praying for you. But would you do that? So let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for today. Thank you, Lord, for your psalms. Thank you for your word. God, it is amazing how it touches us, how, God, it speaks to us in places that we didn't even think you knew. It just, I am amazed. So, Lord, I pray that today, and through my bumbling and stumbling and everything else, that, God, you will have penetrated some hearts and that you will draw us closer to you and that, Lord, there will be one, one, two, 
some today who will be so tired of their sin, so tired of their bones being crushed, and they will cry out to you and that you will forgive in the way that you always do. For Lord, we ask this in your precious name. Amen.